the morning we're going to dedicate to Asuba and the afternoon to uh, contemplation of death. So it's quite a tough day today because we're going to really you know, look at the body in a way we are usually not looking at. So it's particular features of the body we look at in a particular way in order to see the body in a different light than usual and bring a greater perspective to the experience of having or being a body and balancing out, you know, the message we get from our culture, which is a lot about, you know, needing to have a, a body who looks a certain way and is of a certain age and ideally would never die. And this is a very deluded way of thinking about the body, but that's just part and parcel of the culture. And I've noticed, especially here, you know, in the U.S., on the West Coast, where I live, it looks like, you know, dying is, dying and getting old is doing something wrong somehow. There's that underlying message that it shouldn't be that way. And I think this is so uh, deluding, really, that I think especially in this culture to have that teaching is a really great, great blessing to bring balance and reality into the mix, which is so much needed. Because I've heard, you know, even the models who appear on those beautiful uh, papers and magazines, even they are already having really extreme, beautiful and wonderful, you know, bodies, even those uh, pictures are still you're being treated with, with certain, in certain ways to make them even more perfect because nobody has a body like this, really. But still, there's a conditioning, you know, in us having that assumption that this is the way we should all look. It's completely impossible. So Asuba, as I mentioned yesterday, is the negation of the word suba, which is beautiful. So it speaks about the non-beautiful or the not beautiful, which doesn't mean ugly or disgusting or so, how it was, uh, you know, in earlier translations, it was sometimes as disgusting uh, translated. And that's not, you know, what we want to speak about today. But just looking at the body in a different way to make our mind much bigger than what it usually is in regards to the body and look at different ways we normally don't look. And there is generally three ways of looking at it. One way would be to look at it in regards to the layers, skin, flesh and bones, so that we can do that as a guided meditation. Then the second way would be looking at that which meets the eye. And this is also part of the uh, ordination ceremony for bhikkhunis. When, uh, you know, part is a quite a long, long ceremony, but at one part, the uh, upachaya, the mankonan, you know, who is, who is the senior person at the ordination, gives us that... Uh, teaching that whatever we see actually consists only of five things. It's skin, hair of the body, hair of the head, nails and teeth. 
And then we say that in one order in the Pali language and then say it backwards. And that can also be a, a samadhi uh, object for meditation to just recite those words. First, you know, in, in, in the order and then in the reverse order and, and then go back and forth and, and the mind can get really very still. And at the same time, you know, when saying those words, we can, uh, the, the image, internally the image can come up or at least we can, can make a connection to that body part while we are saying the word. And the third way of uh, doing this meditation is to recite or to chant uh, the 32 parts of the body. And uh, this is also part in our chanting book. And I just want to read out a few of them so that the chant goes like this. This which is my body, from the soles of the feet up and down from the crown of the head, is a sealed bag of skin filled with unattractive things. So that's the traditional chant. And then one lists the 32 parts of the body. And the first five are the five I mentioned before, which are given at the ordination ceremony. Kesa, hair of the head. Loma, hair of the body. Naka, nails. Danta, teeth. Tacho, skin. And then one goes again the reverse order. Tacho, Danta, Naka, Loma, Kesa. Kesa, Loma, Naka, Danta, Tacho. And that can be like, you know, a meditation uh, instruction. And then there's many more parts. I just read out a few. Sinews, kidney, liver, lungs, undigested food, excrement, blood, tears, mucus, urine, brain. So all of those parts, they are, you know, reflected upon. And, and through that reflection, you know, we become more and more aware that the body isn't like a thing, but the body is consisting of many, many different parts. And the body is incredibly vulnerable because of that. And it can give us like a sense of relief, really, because it's impossible to control the body. The body really belongs to nature. The body really is part of nature. And through this reflection, we, you know, we more and more allow that truth to become part of the way we understand the body. And uh, also, you know, to see that it's not only about the body, but also the, about the relationship to food. And also about the body of others. Because sometimes, you know, we can be quite infatuated with the body of others. And thinking of it in that way can help us to cool down the whole uh, way of thinking about it. It's all about like cooling down and balancing out. It's not about becoming disgusted with the body, but it's about seeing the whole picture. And so much, I think, about the Dhamma teaching is about seeing the whole picture, seeing the whole spectrum, 
not only beginnings, but also endings. And that's really such an important um, part of the practice to, you know, cultivate certain perceptions which we usually do not cultivate. Usually we like beginnings. We like babies and puppies and fresh things and new things that's exciting, that really gets our attention, that makes us joyful. But if we think about dying things or old things, we don't get excited about that. And that's exactly, you know, what is so deluding. This is ignorance. Do not pay attention to this other part of life. And and this... Um, Different practices help us to train the mind by saying, okay, you need to look here as well, because this is also part of life. And then through doing this, you know, the attachment to beginnings and to new things and fresh things and, you know, sweet things and soft things gets balanced out. And this is exactly what's needed, you know, for insight to arise. Through this balancing out, the attachment to preferable perceptions gets slowly but surely, you know, washed away. And that's the Pali word of uh, viraga, dispassion. Dispassion sets in because the mind adapts to what it is, you know, uh, what it is seeing. It adapts. That's not something, you know, we have to force the mind. But if you show it to the mind, the mind adapts. If you have an interest for those things. And then, you know, if there's a certain washing away of craving and of attachment, then the mind is much more capable to see the whole spectrum, to see endings. And then, you know, when the mind clearly sees endings and sees the other part of the equation, it just lets go because it understands. And I think that's, you know, the essence of, the, of these practices we are doing today, to balance out, to cool down the mind. And uh, the Asuba practices, you know, especially done when... There's also like a lot of sexual lust, you know, which can be very, you know, can be very distracting, especially for monastics in the beginning of the training, can be a very helpful practice. But for anyone, you know, who feels overwhelmed by sexual desire, it can be really helpful. Or, you know, if we have a body which is not working well, you know, where there's illness, it can also help us to get the whole picture and... Uh, See, yes, this body is part of nature. It's not in my control. And, uh, you know, especially in, uh, I've lived in Thailand for a few years and there it's a very normal thing, you know, for monastics in particular to go to the mortuary and to look at uh, corpses and see, you know, when those corpses are investigated for not when it's not clear, you know, what the 
reason was that somebody died. They get cut open and there's certain investigations are made and monastics, you know, are allowed to kind of be part of that and observe that. And I have been many years ago in the, the mid-90s. I remember I went uh, to the police mortuary in Bangkok and it was, it blew my mind really, you know. Because I'd never really uh, considered those things. So that was really very sobering. Because it is part of life and we need to pay attention to it. And then also, just, you know, understanding in our own experience how little interest our culture in general has in those things. And you know, and and I think, you know, on the first on the first look, it looks like oh, you know, it's it's really nice to not uh, confront people with those issues. But actually, it is. It makes our life on the long run much more difficult because we get more and more unrealistic. And then when you know when we have difficulties with our bodies, then we are completely blown away because we never have considered that as as a part of life. For example, you know, there's a lot going on like in the advertisement industry with about skin. You know, there are so many products if you go to the drugstore uh, for skin, you know. Hundreds of, of products we can buy, skin and hair. And in reality, you know, the skin is, is simply an organ. It's an organ which purifies the body eliminates waste and, you know, helps with cooling and warming and it's where we meet the world. But the world meets us very different, you know, if our skin is like soft and, and smooth or if our skin is like wrinkly and blotchy. And then, you know, if our skin has a different color, brown or, or black or golden, it can be life, it can be threatening for our life, you know, to not have the quote-unquote right skin color. It's, it's a huge amount of projection, a huge overlay. And then when you look at it for what it is, it's just skin. It's just an organ. But you can decide about so many things in your life if you don't have the skin color, you know, which is, considered the right one and these days you know this kind of conversation comes more and more in the mainstream because more and more people see how crazy that is and how scary that is and how unjust that is because it, it is completely fueled by ignorance yeah so it's it's a very big theme, really, and it's not only about you know dealing with sexual desire, but it's like it's much bigger than that. Just seeing you know how much projection is connected with identifying with the body as me and mine, and how important it is you know to give it attention balance that out 
and uh, you know for example wearing you know if you let's say you get a, your favorite new dress and then you wear that dress for a day and then you don't take it off in the evening you go to bed with the dress and you don't take a shower and the next day you wear it and the next night and then another day and you don't take a shower how does that dress look you know after a few days imagine that this is what the body produces you know I don't mean only getting dirty from outside, but also, you know, the body makes the dress dirty too. And this is something, you know, we usually don't look at. And I think that's a very healthy thing to look at. But it's also important, you know, to do those practices in combination with uplifting practices as well. And if you feel, you know, that... Uh, it doesn't really work for you, then by all means, you know, put it down and uh, do your usual practice or do some meta practice. We do that tomorrow anyway. So it's not about developing aversion to the body. That's not why we're doing this practice. It's to balancing it out. And also if we already have aversion to the body because we think our body doesn't look like it should, you know, that practice can also help us to get more into the middle. So it helps, you know, in both ways to see this body is part of nature. And there's many things, you know, going on in the body where we have no clue how the body knows, you know. The whole uh, hormonal system, digestion, the blood, uh, you know, the blood circulation. We don't know how the body is doing this. We could never do this, you know, willfully. There's a great intelligence operating also. But it has its own ways and it doesn't care about our preferences. Because it belongs to nature. And these practices, you know, help us to understand that very deeply. This body is part of nature. It belongs to nature. And, you know, it's like a, a mounting animal, a riding animal, which we borrow from nature. And we look after it as good as we can. And when the time comes, we, we give it back. So, you know, that's what we are considering today. And, you know, please, if you don't find it helpful, then I invite you to just do your own practice. But if you do find it helpful, then please, you know, uh, we can do a guided meditation together so you can get some understanding how those themes, you know, can be part of your meditation practice. And then you can, you know, use either like 10 minutes at the beginning of each meditation to do it or a whole meditation session. It can help us in particular, you know, if we are caught up, for example, in, uh, you know, if we're very ungrounded and we need to come back into the body, it can really help us to come back and to ground. But can also help us if we're really, you know, caught up in, in sexual lust, 
in a in a way you know which we find difficult or if we have a, a you know a body image about ourselves which is is maybe negative it can help us to balance that out as well and it can also help us you know to to connect with a sense of awe for the body how it does its job, you know, day in and day out with so much uh, intelligence. And, you know, and knowing that this body has been, you know, over the millions of years of evolution, how it has come to this point in history and what an amazing process we are part of. So, you know, that really helps us to loosen our identification with the body as me or mine and seeing it as part of nature, what it truly is. And it leads to non-clinging. Non-identification, non-clinging and understanding ourselves more and more as part of a much bigger process, nature. And, and through that, you know, there is a sense of enrichment can set in. And that enrichment supports the letting go of clinging. Because we don't feel, you know, separate anymore and, you know, feeling, you know, we didn't get the right eyes or we didn't get the right this or that. And this practice can help us to see we are part of a much bigger process. And we can lean into this. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.